0: Well, I can't tell you what a privilege and blessing it is to be able to stand here tonight in this pulpit from which I've been taught for over 30 years. A huge part of my spiritual life has emanated from the preachers who stood behind this pulpit. Chiefly Steve, my friend. I have in the front of my Bible something that I wrote in here years ago it says happy are those who in the providence of God can make the study of the Bible very specifically the business of their lives but happy also is every Christian who has it open before him and seeks by daily study to penetrate somewhat into the wonderful riches of what it contains now, these words were written by J. Gresham Machen. One of my heroes. Very influential in my life. Of course, I never met him. He died some 10 years before I was born. But very influential in my life. I love the beginning of that quote. "Happier are those who in the providence of God can make the study of the Bible very specifically the business of their lives. That was my business. That was my pleasure That was my privilege for 47 years to teach in a small Christian college setting. I can't tell you how many times over those years, very, very many indeed, I gave a 50-minute lecture. That was what our classes were, 50 minutes. I gave a bazillion of those lectures probably. So... Except for Tuesdays and Thursdays. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we had a class structure that went for an hour and 15 minutes because the class only met twice a week. I kind of feel like Tuesday, Thursday tonight. <laughs> so kind of get settled in. <laughs> I invite you to open your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 13, 1 Kings. Chapter 13. And I just want to say to you that this message has been laid upon my heart for over a year, way over a year. I can't give you all the circumstances that are connected with this, but way over a year ago, uh, God laid this burden on my heart. And I'm thankful for the opportunity tonight. The year was 1638, the end of February. The place was the churchyard of Greyfriars Kirk in Edinburgh, Scotland. In the church and in the churchyard were gathered many hundreds of the nobles and ministers and common people of the land. These were tumultuous times in England and Scotland. The Scots were being forced to bend in submission to the demands of the English king, Charles I, to act in a manner that violated their loyalty to the Word of God and their consciences as informed by the Word of God. They were gathered that day at Greyfriars to set their hands put their names to what came to be called the national covenant written on a large ram skin when they set their hands to this when they set their signatures to this they affirmed their allegiance to the word of god and to christ as the only head and lawgiver of the church The signing went on for many hours. Some, after they signed their name, wrote the words, until death. Some of them even signed their signatures in their own blood. In the decades that followed that, especially in the 1660s through the 1680s, Great persecution fell upon them. Many, many suffered martyrdom because of their unflinching loyalty to the Word of God. Some years ago, I stood in a spot called the Grass Market in Edinburgh. And I read a monument in the street which had these words. On this spot, Many martyrs and covenanters died for the Protestant faith. It was the place where the gallows was located. Some of them were executed by the guillotine, which they called the Red Maiden. Some of them, even as they were going to their death by being beheaded, said that they had never embraced so fair a maiden." These were at one and the same time heroic times and tragic times. Loyalty to the Word of God sometimes comes at great cost. When we've opened our Bibles to First Kings chapter 13, we find ourselves in a different historical context, but once again Tumultuous times. These were tumultuous times in the land of the Jews. A little more than a generation before this, that is the setting of 1 Kings 13, was the reign of the man after God's own heart, David. David, under whose rule God had given Israel rest from all of its enemies. He was followed on the throne, of course, by Solomon. Solomon, a man endowed with unsurpassed wisdom. It was a time of incredible wealth and in the building of the great temple in Jerusalem. But, but Solomon loved many women who turned his heart away from his loyalty to the only living and true God. You might say in that respect it was a time of incredible stupidity. But more accurately, a time of great sin. His son, that is Solomon's son, Rehoboam, following foolish counsel of younger men, ruled over the southern kingdom called Judah. But ten of the tribes rebelled and followed Jeroboam, who ruled over the northern kingdom called Israel. And what kind of a king was he? What kind of a king was Jeroboam? He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He made two calves of gold, erecting them in the cities of Bethel and Dan. Why? So that none who lived in his kingdom would go to Jerusalem to worship anymore. As First Kings 13 begins, Jeroboam is standing by the idolatrous altar in Bethel. It was apparently the first occasion when this altar was going to be used at a new feast. No less than the king himself was going to officiate. There was great excitement in the city. Many worshipers were there to witness what Jeroboam was about to do. 1 Kings chapter 13. This is God's Word. And behold, a man of God came out of Judah by the Word of the Lord to Bethel. Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make offerings. And the man cried against the altar by the Word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord. Behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, this is the sign that the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are on it shall be poured out. And when the king heard the saying of the man of God, which he cried against the altar at Bethel, Jeroboam stretched out his hand from the altar saying, Seize him! And his hand which he stretched out against him dried up so that he could not draw it back to himself. The altar also was torn down and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign that the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. And the king said to the man of God, Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. And the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. And the man of God said to the king, If you give me half your house, I will not go in with you. And I will not eat bread or drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall neither eat bread nor drink water nor return by the way that you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way that he came to Bethel. Now an old prophet lived in Bethel. And his sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told to their father the words that he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? And his son showed him the way that the man of God who came from Judah had gone. And he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him. And he mounted it. And he went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with you or go in with you. Neither will I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. For it was said to me, By the word of the Lord, you shall neither eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way that you came. And he said to him, I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. So he went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. And as they sat at the table, The word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried to the man of God who came from Judah, Thus says the Lord, Because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which He said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. And as he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his body was thrown in the road, and the donkey stood beside it. The lion also stood beside the body, And behold, men passed by and saw the body thrown in the road and the lion standing by the body. And they came and told it in the city where the old prophet lived. And when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard of it, he said, it is the man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord has given him to the lion which has torn him and killed him according to the word that the Lord spoke to him. And he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. And they saddled it. And he went and found his body thrown in the road. And the donkey and the lion standing beside the body. The lion had not eaten the body or torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the body of the man of God and laid it on the donkey and brought it back to the city to mourn and to bury him. And he laid the body in his own grave. And they mourned over him, saying, Alas, my brother. And after he had buried him, he said to his sons, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord, against the altar in Bethel, and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria, shall surely come to pass. This is God's Word. This is a most fascinating chapter to say the least, wouldn't you say? I don't think it is possible... To read this chapter without noticing the recurring phrase, the Word of the Lord. That comes up some nine times in this chapter. You can't miss it. I think even the casual reader will see it. What does this chapter teach us about the Word of the Lord? As we read this passage, we noticed three individuals in this passage. First, we noticed an idolatrous king who despised the word of the Lord. Second, we noticed an unnamed prophet of Judah who declared the word of the Lord. And third, an old prophet from Bethel who lied about the word of the Lord? Well, let's look a little bit more carefully at this chapter. And as we look at this, I want to structure the things around four points that will be similar to one another, but yet significantly different. The first point, verses one through six, is the word of the Lord from the man of God. The Word of the Lord from the man of God. I want to emphasize again the word from the man of God. As this whole scene begins to transpire here and Jeroboam is standing next to the altar ready to officiate with the offerings that are going to be made that day, suddenly, Someone identified as a man of God from Judah appears on the scene. A man of God. This is God's man. This is God's man on a mission from God. This is God's man with a message from God. He cries out against the altar. He doesn't directly address Jeroboam, but he cries out against the altar, the idolatrous altar of spurious worship. And in so doing, in so threatening the altar, he is threatening Jeroboam and the worshipers as well, of course. What he says is that there would be one born to the house of David who will desecrate this false altar by burning human bones on it. And he even gives the name of the individual who will come. Josiah is his name. Now we have the whole story in the Bible. The Bible tells us about when Josiah came along as one of the rulers, one of the greatest rulers in the southern kingdom of Judah. But that would not be for 300 more years. Matter of fact, when Josiah appeared on the scene, it would actually be a hundred years after the northern kingdom had collapsed. Being defeated by the Assyrians. He also said, that is the man of God who came out of Judah, he also said that there would be a, a sign, an immediate proof, if you will, to corroborate the prophecy. That is the altar would be torn down and its ashes poured out. I'm sure... There wasn't any hesitation on Jeroboam's part. Jeroboam stretched out his hand and said, "Seize him." And from what we read in scripture here, it seems to be that some sort of paralysis struck him and he couldn't bring his hand back. The king appealed to the prophet to entreat the favor of God, which the prophet did, and God graciously granted the request of the man of God from Judah and restored the paralyzed hand of Jeroboam. This prophet called here a man of God, when he appeared on the scene, he had come to that spot by the word of the Lord and what he declared was the word of the Lord. Make no mistake about it. Well, let's come to a second point in considering these things in this chapter. And that is the word of the Lord to the man of God. And I emphasize here to. The word of the Lord to the man of God. The king, and we might find this strange at first, the king having his hand healed or restored by the prophet's prayer and by God's gracious intervention, the king now makes a request to the man of God to come home with him for refreshment and reward. You might say, that is strange indeed. What well, seems strange, but surely the king was going to try to win the favor of this prophet who had spoken so harshly against his altar. And what the man of God did was, without any hesitation at all, he said that no matter how great the reward would be, even to the half of the king's household, he would not come with him because he has been instructed by the word of the Lord not to eat bread not to drink water, and not to return to his home by the same way. What God had declared to this man of God from Judah was clear. This was God's command. The man of God from Judah understood what the word of the Lord said. It was non-negotiable. And so... He began the journey home by a different way. And that brings us to a third point here. And that is the word of the Lord from the old prophet. Now you've seen the points go up on the screen, I think. I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at the back. Do you see what I've done to the word of the Lord? And I think having read the scriptures, you can understand why I did that was this man who was introduced, this old prophet introduced in verse 11. Well, may I just say that in the course of these verses that talk about him from verse 11 down to verse 32, no less than five times he's referred to as a prophet. Alfred Edersheim, a great writer on the Old Testament, Alfred Edersheim said, And I think it's a wise remark by him. He said that the real character of this resident of Bethel is not easy to read. Yeah. True prophets of the living and true God were not the only prophets in the land. There was no shortage of false prophets as well. Well, apparently the sons of this old prophet from Bethel had been at the spectacle that had taken place at the altar And when they reported this to their father, the old prophet, what they had seen, what they had heard, immediately, the old prophet set out to chase down the man of God from Judah. And soon he found him sitting under a tree. Probably some sort of a traveler's rest. And then he did something very similar to what Jeroboam did. He invited... The man of God from Judah took him home with him for refreshment. And immediately again, without any hesitation, the man of God from Judah repeated what he had heard by the word of the Lord. He mustn't eat or drink. He mustn't linger and he mustn't go home the same way. That brings us to I think one of the saddest parts of this whole story if not the saddest part. It's what we read here in verse 18. And he that is the old prophet from Bethel and he said to him, "I also am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you into your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied to him. Did the man of God from Judah know that he was lying? Well, he was contradicting what the word of the Lord was to him, which was clear and which he had declared twice, but it convinced him and he went back with the old prophet Suddenly, that brings me to a fourth point here the fourth point is the word of the Lord to the old prophet the word of the Lord to the old prophet can you picture the The man of God from Judah and the old prophet from Bethel sitting together at the table in the house of the old prophet in Bethel. Receiving refreshment. The man of God from Judah was doing the very thing that God told him not to do. He understood that. He had twice stated that. And the point that I've formulated here, the word of the Lord to the old prophet, is where we continue reading in verse 20. And as they sat at the table, the word of the Lord came to the prophet. This wasn't fabricated. This is the word of the Lord coming to that old prophet. The prophet who had brought him back. And he cried... To the man of God who came from Judah, thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the command that the Lord your God commanded you, but have come back and have eaten bread and drunk water in the place of which he said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your body shall not come to the tomb of your father's. I think another sad part of the story is apparently they finished the meal before the next thing happened. That's the next words. But we read in the story, in the passage in Scripture, what happened. A donkey was saddled for the man of God from Judah. He got on that donkey and he began, he resumed his trip home. And a lion met him on the way. A lion met him on the way. There are not a whole lot of details that are given here. But I think I can say that the lion did what lions characteristically do. The lion killed the man. You know, I've tried to imagine this. I mean, how did he kill him? I I, I kind of think in my mind, could be right, could be wrong, that with one slap of his mighty paw. the man of God from Judah was dead on the ground and then the lion did what is certainly not characteristic for lions to do the lion just stood there next to the body and next to the donkey what an amazing scene that is why didn't the donkey go fleeing away, braying to the four winds? The donkey stood there. The lion stood there next to the dead body. Travelers along that road saw the unusual scene. They carried a report back to Bethel and the old prophet heard of it. And the old prophet immediately concluded That it was the man of God who had disobeyed the word of the Lord. And God's judgment has fallen on him. He immediately recovered the body. He laid it in his own grave. He mourned for him. And he gave one final request. When I die, bury me next to him. And then, there's one final mention here. After we read those words, When I die, bury me in the grave in which the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. For the saying that he called out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the houses of the high places that are in the cities of Samaria shall surely come to pass. You know what? I'll say again, What a fascinating story this is in Scripture. And when I say story, I do not mean a fable or a fabrication or a stretching or exaggeration of the truth. This is history. This is inspired history. And the Scriptures plainly say all Scripture Is inspired by God all scripture is God breathed and is profitable so the question we need to ask here is what is the profit p-r-o-f-i-t what is the profit to be gained from this story for us well I think there are a number of things A number of things and just in case you were thinking that we got through those four points pretty handily and we might be on our way in a timely fashion no I'm feeling Tuesday Thursday here Uh, you know the Covenanters that I talked about at the beginning of this message this evening They were serious about their obedience to the Word of God, the Word of the Lord, and it cost many of them their lives. It is highly unlikely that any of us will have to pay a similar price for our loyalty to the Word of God. Although, as things seem to be developing, it becomes less unlikely. The unnamed prophet from Judah had to pay a high price for disregarding the Word of the Lord, but it's even more unlikely that we're going to be met by a lion But what we're talking about here is a very serious matter, a matter of the highest importance. There is a wonderfully relevant text verse for this found in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 13. Proverbs 13 and verse 13. That verse reads, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. Again, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. It's why I chose the title that I chose for this message tonight. They took it from the words of Proverbs 13, 13. What does it mean when it says to despise the word of the Lord? The word despise is a pretty harsh word, isn't it? Pretty harsh word. It comes from the Hebrew word baza, which means to raise the head loftily or disdainfully. Can you picture that? To raise the head loftily or disdainfully, you know, kind of sticking your nose up in the air Or, to despise, or scorn, or ridicule, or show contempt for. The Greek word from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, means to despise, to treat with contempt, to care nothing for, or disregard. Do you get the picture? He who despises the word... Perhaps you're saying, but what's this have to do with us? We're a congregation of Bible lovers. Yes, we are. We love to sit under the preaching of God's Word. Yes, we do. May I say to you and say to myself, whenever we have disobeyed the Word of God, we have despised it. Have you ever despised the Word of God? The answer, of course, is yes, you have. Yes, we have. The flip side of that antithetical parallelism in Proverbs 13.13 says that the one who reveres the commandment, that is who fears it or reverences or respects it, will be rewarded. God rewards those who live in obedience to His Word. You know that, and so do I. So let me close with a few serious observations from the story. How the story profits us with regard to its teachings on the Word of the Lord. Number one, number one. When the Word of God is unmistakably clear, the path ahead is plain. It is the path of unswerving obedience. Let me repeat the point again. When the Word of God is unmistakably clear, the path ahead is plain. It is the path of unswerving obedience. Romans 6, verses 16 and 17 read, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now I think we all realize that not everything in Scripture is alike clear. There are difficult things in the Word of God. There are difficult things to understand in the Word of God. But, overwhelmingly, The word of God is straightforward, plain, and clear. You can't claim ignorance here. You can't. The path is clear. Choose the path of obedience. Always choose the path of obedience. A second observation. Sadly, it is not impossible To be deceived by someone who claims to be speaking for God. That's a sobering point, isn't it? Sadly, it is not impossible to be deceived by someone who claims to be speaking for God. In Matthew 24, in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus says in some of the verses there, See that no one leads you astray for many will come in My name saying I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray if possible even the elect. Many. Many. How tragic is it in the story when the old prophet deceived the man of God? Are there those in our day who claim to speak for God, but in reality are leading people away from God, down a wrong path into deceptive error? To be sure there are. And may I add here that God will not deal lightly with those who claim to speak for Him, wear the clerical garb, occupy the academic chairs, and so on, who lead people astray. It would be better for them not to be born. Jesus said in Mark 9.42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in Me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Here's a third observation. Never stop growing in your love for and knowledge of and obedience to the Word of God. Peter ends his second epistle by saying, But grow in grace. In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and in the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There have been recently, and will continue to be in the immediate days here, a lot of graduations. Some in this room may have participated in some graduations. I say to you, we will never graduate from our dependence on learning, reading, studying, hearing the Word of God. Read it. Hear it. Study it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Paul's words in Colossians 3.16 Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Never tire of this. Never. A fourth observation. Do not think that you are incapable of despising the Word of God. Let me repeat that. Do not think that you are incapable of despising the Word of God. Again, I say, that word despise is so harsh. Would we do such a thing? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. Paul says, Now these things happened to them, that is the Israelites, as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. They're sobering words, aren't they? Sobering words. Sadly, but surely the seeds of the worst sins are potentially in our hearts. David's adultery and murder and deception extended over a period of many months. Peter's proud boasting and then disastrous denials all occurred within a few hours. And there are so many more examples that we could read from scripture so many more examples that we could read from history church history and current history guard your heart do not think that you are incapable of despising the word of God and I say again whenever we disobey the word of God we've despised it we have a fifth point Despising the Word of God will bring dire consequences. How dire were the consequences in 1 Kings chapter 13? The man of God from Judah was not buried in the tomb of his fathers because he had disobeyed the Word of God. In Numbers chapter 15 verses 30 and 31 we read but the person who does anything with a high hand that is the person who sins defiantly whether he is a native or a sojourner reviles the Lord and that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment that person shall be utterly cut off his iniquity shall be on him In Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, we read, He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. It may not be a lion in the road, but make no mistake, God will not be mocked. There will be leanness of soul. There will be an agitated conscience. There will be a growing comfortableness in disregarding the Word of God. There'll be a coldness of heart and disregard for worship. These are the sad consequences. Of despising the Word of the Lord. Number six. Determine that you will finish well. Walking in obedience to the Word of the Lord. Make that your daily prayer. I love... Acts 20, verse 24, where Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value nor is precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the Gospel of the grace of God. If only I may finish my course some of us are a lot closer to the finish line than others. But there is a God-appointed finish line ahead for each of us. Finish your race well. You may stumble along the way. You will stumble along the way. But do what you need to do to get back on the track. And finish well. And may I add, just as I've said on this point, make it your daily prayer that God will help you to finish well. By now you're probably sitting here saying, I wonder how many more points we're going to have in this practical aspect here. May I say to you, number seven, finally. Finally. Finally and most importantly, the most important Tragic example of despising the Word of the Lord is when a person spurns the free offer of the Gospel. The good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Is there anyone here tonight like that? Well, I don't know. I can't see hearts. I know most of you, or many of you at least... I'd love to know more of you even. But God knows all hearts. The fact that you're sitting here in church tonight is probably a pretty good indication that you're interested in the Word of God and you have a saving relationship to Christ. But I say again, the most tragic example of despising the Word of the Lord is when a person spurns the free offer of the Gospel. The good news that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You see, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes you, it includes me. That's undeniable, and we know it. Furthermore, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, which we will all experience. But it's not just physical death. Something far greater, far more fearsome it's an eternity of indescribable unremitting suffering enduring the just judgment of god on sinners who have chosen to go their own way. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came into the world to live for us, that is to obey the word, the law of god perfectly keep the law which we could not keep. And He came into the world to die for us. To render up Himself as a substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself. If you, seated here in this sanctuary tonight, or wherever you may be in listening or watching to this message, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, I appeal to you tonight to flee to Him. Flee to Him. Behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Heavenly Father, I thank You for the privilege we have of coming together to worship You. Lord, what a joy it has been to come to the Lord's house on the Lord's day with the Lord's people and to hear the word of the Lord. Lord, I pray tonight for everyone who has heard this message. I pray for my own heart first and foremost of all, Lord, that we would respond by taking heed to how we live and how we respond to the Word of God, which we've heard today in our morning worship service, in our Sunday school classes. Father, may we walk in obedience, in joyful obedience. Lord, guard our hearts from pride, Lord. Guard our hearts from selfishness and foolishness. And Father, I pray as we close tonight for those who do not know Christ as their Savior. Oh, Father, I pray that You would open their eyes. I pray, Father, that You would crush their stony hearts. I pray, Father, that You would create in them a thirst which cannot be satisfied by anything other than Jesus and the Gospel. Lord, we love You. We thank You for all that You have done for us and all that You are doing right now for us and all that You will do for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.